All right. Well, here we are, John uh, 21. We'll get to the text shortly, but I just want to ask and check in. Have you ever been to a place and thought, if only these walls could talk? Or maybe you've been out bush somewhere or in a park, maybe even in the middle of a city, but there's been a significant tree or rock and you just go, imagine if this thing could talk. You know, maybe you know, in terms of the walls or the tree or the rock, witnessing history over time or uh, conversations that no one else is privy to. Uh, and they just sit there. Last year we went on a quick holiday to Canberra and uh, we meant to get to this years ago, but we thought, quick, sneak it in. And we're seeing all the Canberra things. Who's done Canberra things? Everyone done, yeah, at some point. Yeah, I, I would say it is worth it, at least once in your life. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we were doing this, seeing all the Canberra things. One of the Canberra things is the War Memorial. Now, uh, uh, you know, there's too much in the War Memorial to actually take in. It's quite an incredible building and sort of, um, uh, yeah, just stories and insights and all these things, particularly for someone myself who's never been in the armed forces, you're just sort of getting these glimpses of people's lives as they've served Australia in the armed forces. And anyway, I'm walking around and I come across this boat and this boat's quite impressive and it's a landing boat uh, from Gallipoli. And at first, this boat was so looked so good that I just assumed it was a replica. And then when you read, you read the thing, and actually it's not a replica, it's been restored. It was that boat itself landed on the shores of Gallipoli. And I just remember for 10 minutes my, conscience, my consciousness being bombarded by just trying to wrap my head around, you know, that there was, there was other Australians in that boat minutes or an hour from their death. And if that boat could talk, what would it have heard or not heard? And uh, yeah, I was, I was struck by it. Yeah? I, was, I was just totally struck by it. One of the amazing things about the Scriptures is that we are, through the Scriptures, privy to all sorts of quite intimate conversations where you just go, when you, when you step back just for a minute, you just go, wow. Like you think of like the prophet Nathan and King David, you know, when the prophet, you know, he rebuked David. You know, like that conversation, that back of house private conversation with the king of Israel is in the scriptures for everyone to see. When you think about Abraham and Sarah, um, you know, when you think about Esther, and her father, when uh, and of course the king. When you think about Jacob and Esau, you know when they met out on the plain and reconciled, or you know Jacob and his mum having that little conversation to plan the deception of. Uh, yeah, amazing. And tonight we're in one of those conversations where I cannot. Isn't it incredible? We are privy to this conversation between Jesus and Peter that happened on a beach next to a lake and not just changed the course of Peter's life 
but really change the course of history. But for us today, we just trust that God wants to speak to us about who he is, what he is like, and that there might be something that he's saying to us through this passage. So let's read it. Hopefully it's on the screen for you. And uh, we're in John chapter 21, from verse 15. So when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this was the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. What an incredible conversation. Before we dive into that, I just want to draw our attention quickly to Colossians 2 verse 9, which uh, Paul unequivocally clearly states in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And the reason I just want to park here for a minute is because I want us to understand that the Jesus, the resurrected Jesus that Peter had this conversation with was the fullness of the deity in bodily form. Because sometimes I think we can have in our minds that God the Father has a certain character and tone about him and that Jesus has a certain character and tone about him and that the Holy Spirit even has a certain character and tone. And I suppose what I want us to do tonight is encourage those, the, I suppose those things to be unified and understand that anything that Jesus did or said, the Father would have done or said, and vice versa. In fact, in John 5.19, Jesus said out loud, and it was recorded in John, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son 
also does. So let's have that in our minds. That, I suppose, the grace that we're going to see Jesus extend to Peter is the same grace that God extends to all of us. Jesus is God. But it's not like Jesus extends grace and God the Father is somehow not extending grace. God is full of grace. The background to this conversation you're probably familiar with from the previous uh, weeks, but very quickly. Since Peter was born and understood what a fish was, he had an understanding or a view of his life that likely was, I'm going to be a fisherman. Now, I can't tell you for sure that his father was a fisherman, but I'm just guessing because in those days, most of the time, that's how things went. When Jesus cut across the path of Peter's life about three years before this conversation, that's what Peter was doing. <laughs> he was fishing. And, uh, you know, the last three years since Jesus has called Peter to follow him, they've been wonderful, challenging, amazing, confusing, life-giving, death-defying years. <laughs> now, there could have been all those things fishing too. <laughs> You're just fishing. But this is sort of, you know, Peter's had this whirlwind of experience and, and this person, Jesus, cut across the trajectory of his life and teach him how to be a fisher of men. And then Peter is this pretty zealous, committed kind of character. He's all or nothing. You know, his heart is on his sleeve. We all know people like that. And, uh, you know, possibly more so than all the other disciples. You know, possibly. Um, and, uh, but now Jesus has been crucified. He's risen again. Peter's confused, especially about where he stands with God because Peter, in the moments leading up to Christ's crucifixion, has not once or twice but three times denied that he even knew Jesus. After, hours before, <laughs> or the night before, or the day before, very confidently stating to Jesus that, Jesus, I would be willing to die for you, with you. I would never deny you. And so, even though it's quite a common thing for people to do, Peter is back out on the boat and he's returned to safety. He's returned to what he knows. He's had this uh, you'd say a, a falling out of, of sorts with Jesus. Not because of anything that Jesus has done, but because of his own guilt and shame and just lack of being able to make sense of what the last three years was all about. And so he's back on the boat. You know, this echoes of the Israelites who, you know, like they were set free from slavery in Egypt and then as they're on their way through the desert to the promised land, they longed for the safety of the slavery in Egypt. And, you know, there's something for us to be aware of there as people. 
um, because we can do exactly the same thing. So Peter's in a turmoil. He's taken the path of least resistance back to know, back to what he knows best. What's interesting here, before this conversation even gets started, is that Jesus sought out Peter. Stay. When did Jesus seek you out? Because he has. That's pretty amazing. Of all the things Jesus had to do and all the places he wanted to be in that short period of time from his resurrection to when he would ascend into heaven, one thing that Jesus wanted to do was reconnect with Peter. One thing that Jesus wanted to do was have this conversation with Peter. And, you know, sometimes we can think, God, you know, you must be busy. <laughs> you must, there must be a lot on your mind. I can understand if it takes a while to get to me. But I want to tell you tonight, you are on God's mind. You are on Jesus' heart. He is thinking of you. He is concerned about the big and small things going on in your life. Not just even in your life, but in your heart and in your mind, in your spirit. And so Jesus comes to this beach, sees Peter coming in frustrated because even though he knows fishing, on this day he can't catch any fish. Jesus tells them to cast their net on the other side. They catch too many fish. <laughs> so now they're feasting on fish. So Jesus is reminded and affirmed to Peter, I am Jesus, the one you know who calmed the waves, who also commands which net the fish jump into. And, uh, and then Jesus, after the meal, asks a question. He could have asked any question. Could have asked you straight out. So Peter, are you going to serve me? Peter, will you worship me? And he asks this question. He asks, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? You're probably aware there's a number of Greek words uh, when it comes to translating things. I, could all, I should almost get David up here just to explain this because you'd explain it better than me. Are you willing, David? Yeah. Oh, no. I, no come on. No, it would be more exciting if you come up. So sorry to put you on the spot. David, you come up quickly. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know, David's uh, yeah, a translator, knows this stuff better than probably anyone in the room. And uh, David, I'd love you to just give us your two-minute crash course on the challenges of translating the word love in English from the Greek, which has a few different contexts. There's a brilliant little book. This is uh, The Four Loves. Is it? C.S. Lewis. Uh, that's a really good summary to explain because, as Simon has said, there are these... Four, well, three different words in this case, but there are actually four in Greek, which are translated in English as love. And so when we translate scripture, we have to go back to the original texts. Now, I'm not that, I don't read the Hebrew, so that's a, that's a challenge, but I can read the Greek, just. Uh, and it's important to look at that, because sometimes 
our English language just will not handle the concept that the original writer intended. And we have to use other words to explain to the closest thing we get. So you get a word like agapas, or agape you might have heard of, because that's the verb. Do you love me in the sense of the love of God, the love, the sacrificial, giving, uh, unconditional love of God? So that's the one that Jesus uses first. And then the second time he says, no, Peter answers, he says, you know that I philo, or phileo, I, you're my mate. I like you. He doesn't use the same word. So Jesus comes back with the same question with the original word. Do you love me unconditionally? as God does. Peter answers the same thing. I'm your mate. You're my mate. I like you. Now Jesus, the third time, saying it, says, am I even your mate? Then he uses Peter's word. And that's why Peter is so hurt. Is that enough? <laughs> Thank you so much, David. Really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, and that's that's it. Isn't that amazing? What's amazing about that is that you know, at one level, just in the English, it's a powerful passage and a conversation that we can draw all sorts of things out. But here, really, we paint a, another layer of Peter in terms of just where he is at. And you know the worship tonight's just been wonderful in leading us into this space, because here's Peter very aware of the shame and the guilt of having denied Jesus, uh, being unsure of where he stands in this relationship with Jesus, and yet to his credit, here's Peter also being very honest. You know he's kind of learnt almost you'd say the lesson about saying that he's going to do everything and be everything to Jesus and be the num you know, his number one follower and now he's just being very honest and saying, well, Jesus, yeah, I do love you as a brother or a mate, as a dear friend. I do care for you, about you. And yet Jesus is asking that question, do you love me like I love you? You know, because we know the love of God, it's unconditional it's committed, it's sacrificial. It's not based on the circumstances. It's actually based on the character of the person giving that love, which in this case is the Creator God. It's Jesus himself. And you know what? I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I can relate to Peter a lot in this conversation. The older I get, I'm almost 40, the older I get. You know, I think of some of the, the, the boldness of my youth, which is not a bad thing. It's good. But age is just humbling me. Life is humbling me. In a similar way that Peter is, has been humbled by his shame and guilt. And you just know more that the gap between what you know and what you practice 
If it's not the same width, it's getting wider, not closer, even though you long for it to close the gap. And here's Peter just saying, Jesus, I love you like this. I can't say right now that I agapas you the way that you agapas me. You know what's interesting is that Jesus works with that. (laughs) Jesus doesn't walk away disappointed. Jesus doesn't get upset. Jesus doesn't, ah, you know, just shake his head and I knew, you know what, I knew that, Peter. I knew knew you wouldn't be able to. (laughs) I've wasted three years discipling you, Peter. None of that. Jesus adjusts his question the third time he asks it. And then, uh, do you notice through the whole conversation in Jesus' response, he doesn't change the call. The call doesn't change. Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And it's not there up on the screen, uh, but in the text again, feed my sheep. So what can we take from this? Let's land some stuff. Our God, the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ is a God who meets us where we are at. He's met every one of us where we're at, regardless of our location or age or circumstance or cultural background. You know, I loved this morning with the, um, uh, the map and the dots. There was a point just, yeah, where a lot of um, the Aboriginal congregation also got up and put their dots. And, uh, you know, I, just, and I was just being reminded, I suppose I had this message in my mind as well, but... But just being remote, far out, you know, totally different cultural background to mine, totally different location in terms of the scattered communities that they've come from. Uh, who knows what age they were when Jesus first met them where they were at and here they are in just as much relationship with Jesus as I am, bumbling along, you know, following as best we can. Uh, and you think all through the Bible too, you know, that's what God was like. He just he met and he went and met Moses. He went and sought out Adam and Eve in the garden, even after the fall. King David <laughs> was just David the shepherd boy, remember. It was God who cut across his life. Zacchaeus hiding up in a tree, the woman at the well. Oh, yeah, and you could just go on, and we won't, because we all want to sleep at some point. Like John said, there's just so many stories that highlight this aspect of God's character. So if you're sitting here tonight, many of you know it, but maybe someone needs to hear it. You're not out of his reach. You are someone Jesus wants to meet with. There's a conversation that the creator of the universe and the lover of your soul just wants to have with you. So good. All right. Number two. God's call and heart is for us to agape him in the way that he has already agaped us. That's his heart. So here's God. He will work <laughs> with all of us wherever we're at. He'll meet us where we're at. 
But there's something here where, you know, Jesus never asked, never asked us, and he never asked the disciples to do anything that was impossible. And all things are possible with God. And we'll talk in a minute about his spirit. But there is an encouragement in this passage, I think, for us. If it's possible, let's love Jesus wholeheartedly. Let's just be committed to him as much as we can. Let our love for him be sacrificial. And I don't think this is possible in our own strength, but we are given his spirit. You know, what's interesting about Peter is he denied Jesus before the spirit had been given and he's having this conversation with Jesus as well before the spirit had been given and yet fast forward and you realise that call that Jesus had on his life, in fact that prophetic word that Jesus spoke over Peter's life in that conversation came to pass. And, you know, it wasn't long after Jesus' ascension, 40 days or so, when the Spirit was given to the church. You know, there's this real contrast, I think, between Peter following out of his own resource to Peter then following and learning to love God out of what the Holy Spirit gives. Pretty cool. All right, last thing many things but we're just going to settle on three tonight no one is out of reach of God's life-changing grace not even someone who denies Jesus in this day and age uh, it's not so much that denying of Jesus that's so publicly known but there's 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 just a lot of trouble isn't there you know like in the church broadly like there's there's other sins being committed or have been committed and they've become public and it's horrible for everyone and um uh but but i suppose i want to point out here peter denied jesus you know like (laughs) like that's that's you know i don't think jesus god's got like a ranking system or anything like that but if you're going to go out of your way to sin, that's a definite way to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to deny that I even know Jesus. So Peter's done, the, done a great job at sinning, and yet here's Jesus wanting to meet with him. Here's Jesus wanting to restore him. Here's Jesus calling him still to follow. Even if Peter or you and I can't follow him perfectly. What a God, what an incredible God. So there's two invitations tonight, two prayers I want to lead us in. The first is just to allow Jesus to meet you where you're at in the same way that he met Peter where Peter was at. Nothing is hidden from him anyway. Like I, you know, um, I have to not laugh genuinely at myself, but it's it's funny how we kind of keep things from the conversation that we're having with God. Like God sees it all, he knows what we need, but sometimes it can take weeks or months before we actually bring it to God. <laughs> like we, we want to hold it in our heart or hide it away in a corner of our heart or something like that. God knows it's there. It's causing us all sorts of trouble. No, hold on to this or that. And yet, uh, that the power of that honest conversation with Jesus, that when we get to that point, 
of humility to say, God, I can't make sense of it. God, I wanna, I'm so angry right now and I'm so upset and I don't know why or I do know why and this is why. God, help, you know, God, I'm, I'm carrying so much grief you know, or so much disappointment or you know, whatever we're carrying. All manner of stuff. But that honest conversation with God, I wish I could stand here and say every day I have an honest conversation with God. I find it, to be honest, it's more like every four to six weeks I find myself forced into an honest conversation with God when I know I've been honest and when I feel like Jesus is ministering in that. So that's the first invitation. And, uh, and in that, know that his demeanour, his posture towards you is agape love. Uh, the second invitation is just to follow and love Jesus by his spirit, by the power of his spirit. Just an encouragement, a reminder to do that. We have so many limitations and God knows it. And he doesn't turn his back. He offers us more of himself by giving us his spirit. And it's his spirit that refines and transforms and enables us to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Even loving him with agapas love, agape love. So, with those two invitations in mind, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the scriptures and for Jesus and for the way that he showed us in bodily form what you are like. And Father, we thank you that you meet us. Lord, you've met millions where they're at. You've been doing it today and we trust that tonight you're meeting people where they are at. And God, I pray for grace upon us that as you meet with us, we would be able to just be honest before you. Lord, that we would trust you afresh and lay things at your feet. Lord, we trust you afresh and seek your wisdom, not our own. Lord, that we, where we are aware of our weakness, that your spirit would give us strength. Lord, that afresh you would pour your agape love into our hearts. And Lord, for those of us who we know you, we sincerely do want to follow you, Lord, we know that you are worthy of our whole lives. But Lord, we're also just so aware of our limitations. Holy Spirit, come. We acknowledge you are the difference. Not our wisdom or our practice or our work, but your spirit at work in us to will and to act according to your good purpose. Holy Spirit, come. And walk with us to be who you have called us to be, where you have called us to be as we go forward from tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.